went there, I'm just like, I have no right being in the woods, chopping wood for warmth, uh, writing this, this book. And as you do it every day, that's another vote for, I am writing this book. I can sustain, you know, chopping wood, carrying water, sitting with hard things, being vulnerable on the page, committing to this project. And it's a vote in that person that I want to be or a vote for the person that I want to be and thought that maybe at the beginning I, I wasn't or couldn't be. chill track friday this is ali this is Anne, and we are back with another episode it's been a while it has been a while hey in that while i was you know i got to see the new chill track friday headquarters martha's vineyard edition which was pretty cool it was awesome to have you here it would have been nice to maybe have done an interview but we had too much uh chill track friday to do ourselves i know we did the real <laughs> Well, I, not that this is not real, but, you know, we did our outdoors things a lot, you know, a lot of outdoor things where we kind of ran to places and sat down and had powwows. So we didn't have any mics. So we're like, okay, you have a really beautiful setting going on. Thank you. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't know if I can paint a picture. It's like kind of northwestern part of the island. And, you know, there's like a about, I would say, 0. 0.3, 0.35 miles of like dirt road that goes all the way inside and then there's like this steep hill you climb up to and then you turn around and there's your cottage in the woods and I was like oh my god wow what's going on uh, and it looks beautiful at night with the warm lights um, some of our friends need to go see it yeah that was my reaction when I got here the first time it's just so beautiful it's peaceful it's quiet this the the most frequently heard sounds are the click of a golf club on a golf ball because there's a golf course right here and then there's an owl at night outside my place which is and quite the timely relaxing. sound uh, and the timely sound of the ferry going by oh yeah because yeah. if you continue on the dirt road another half mile you end up at a beach so mm -hmm. yeah which is also pretty cool yeah and the beach has this really shallow inlet that came comes in where we saw all the kids playing so i thought oh my god what a perfect place to like if you have family too, like you want to just let the kids loose in the shallow area, let them do their thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a really nice beach because it's part of um, that. Those of us who live within this little area have access to it. So it is private, but it's private for like 50 people. But there's picnic tables and you can I've when I moved here in September, I saw people doing like organized parties outside. So that's something to look forward to. And I just Windexed my front doors so I can actually <laughs> see what's going on. <laughs> After a blustery winter of things blowing Is it like away. super sparkly clean now? Like yeah. as if you may try to walk through it <laughs> without realizing? It's happened to me before in my life. <laughs> uh, there's one scene, my, my niece once, um, I think full on just running into a door because she thought, you know, I don't know, the glass was that clean or she just, you know, kids. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She was three, four, just all out right into the glass door boom mm -hmm. and then she got up looked back at us and was like oh 
this is closed, isn't it? <laughs> and then she pushed her way through. I, we totally expected her to like start bawling, crying, but she was just, she just kind of gave us the look like, did you see that? Oh, okay. <laughs> and then opened the door and went on her way. I was like, yeah. Oh, thank God we dodged a bullet there. Went on her way. I know it's very, uh, it's alarming and slightly embarrassing. Yeah, it was. It was alarming for us for sure. We thought, you know, I was like, oh my God. And she was in her cute little frock. It was, you know, summer mm. days. So it was just, it was just this funny thing to just, well, I guess funny, not funny, but just go into this little, little bundle of joy running right into a glass door. Anyway, yeah. how did we get here? I know. To this conversation. <laughs> I clean my windows. Welcome to Chill Track Friday, guys. Yeah, this is the stuff we talk about. This is the real stuff. Forget about races and time. Um, I do want to just address our infrequency of or lack of regularity for our releases, which is basically just that we're both really busy. And it's not for lack of wanting to do this. It's just that you started a new job. I've started a new job, too. It's still new. Um, so we do what we can when we can. So I hope yeah. that's okay with our listeners and We'll probably get back into a rhythm eventually, but, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, the one vibe for Chill Track Friday is like just enjoying the journey along the way and not, you know, stressing out about things. So that's how we kind of run the operation too. Um, so if things happen in life, we kind of take a short break and then, mm -hmm. but it's always on the back of our minds. like Chill Track Friday, Chill Track Friday, Chill Track Friday. It needs to yeah, happen. <laughs> totally. Speaking of going with the flow, doing things, exploring things. We have a very interesting guest today. You probably noticed, you know, at Chill Track Friday, we try to bring you some, you know, unique stories, unique perspectives. Um, and today fits the mold. Definitely. We have Sean Hamilton. I don't want to give away too much because the, you know, he, he tells a story and what he did in such a, in so much detail and with so much openness. So I'll just, I'll just do a quick summary. Last year had been like, has been super uncertain for a lot of us and Sean had a lot of plans and goals for his running for his life in general you know he was kind of at a pivotal point in setting his sights on many things that he wanted to do in life and then sort of COVID happened and other things happened in life that brought him to a really low point and then he just to sort of deal with that he took a journey of solitude way up into the woods of uh, British Columbia uh, where he stayed for a month, and then he documented that, which came out in the form of a book. We highly recommend for our listeners to check out the book. Uh, it's called Running Through the Woods, The River, Gentle on My Mind. And without giving away too much, Sean goes into the detail of, you know, why he did that, what he did, how he arrived at that decision, and what came out of it. But to give you just a little bit of sense of, like, what that was, and can you read the introduction in his book? Sure, I'd love to. Intro. The following training log and corresponding field notes were collected between late November and the end of December 2020. It was the end of one hell of a tough year for everyone, everywhere, and our planet. While being confronted with some of the largest obstacles I've endured in nearly a decade, I did something that I'm sure many have thought about when the chips are down. I wandered north into the woods, hoping to find something, while leaving almost everything else behind. I do not claim any elite athletic ability, nor any philosophical or poetic prowess. I should also note that I am in no way a proficient woodsman either. This is simply an honest account of a moment in time in a place seemingly tucked away from the world. These are simply the thoughts that kept me company while running in the woods, looking for answers to questions that probably don't have any. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. 
Thank you. Happy to be here. So, you know, Chill Track Friday depends. Sometimes we beat around the bush a lot, but majority of the times we jump right in. So I'm going to jump right in. Um, you went on an amazing and very interesting endeavor recently, and out of it came a beautiful artifact. Can you tell us a little bit about what that journey was about? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I'm still kind of processing all of what it was. Um, I think that, like anything, um, you get so zoned in on, on your own reality that uh, it takes that time to get that 30,000 foot view of, of an experience or a time in your life. Um, and obviously you remember things wrong. Um, so I knew, uh, thankfully I feel um, with this project uh, in this endeavor, or as you refer to it as an artifact, I, I kind of had thankfully the foresight to in the moment acknowledge that this was something very different and, and going to be a very um, monumental piece of, of my, I guess we'll say thirties. Um, I just had this sense that this was going to be something that I didn't want to let the sentiment of um, slip away uh, without some form of, of document without kind of really taking the time to lean into maybe what we'll call some of the harder, more unpleasant work um, of self-reflection, of um, recording feelings, thoughts, um, those types of things that, you know, when you're going through a big change and a, a huge transition or time of towering uncertainty, as I like to refer to it as, um, you could lean the other way and you want to distract yourself or you want to just get through it. But I felt this wasn't one of those times. Um, and I'm very happy that I had that, that foresight to now look at just starting to get a little bit of perspective on it. It's only been, you know, about a month since it's been released into the world as a physical uh, artifact, but I'm very, very happy that I did what I would deem you know, a lot of hard work in that time. What inspired, let's put the artifact aside for a second. What inspired the thought and to go on this journey? If you can tell a little bit about what was going through your mind, what got you to do what you did and and just explain what you did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess to, to summarize it, um, like everyone, uh, a year of <laughs> absolute uh, turbulence, I guess is the easiest way to, to put it but uh, I was in the middle of traveling and, and I dedicated about six months to um, running and, and meeting up with friends from run crews that I had met over the years all over, uh, running races all over North America. You know, I spent six weeks in Mexico City and running in the mountains around there and, and then flew to LA for the LA Marathon, which ended up being you know one of the last things uh, that happened in terms of events right before the world kind of shut down. Um, that was about six, seven weeks into this uh, planned six-month trip that was supposed to be centered around, you know, connecting with with people in, in new places and running races and, and just kind of exploring and, and figuring out what was, was next in my life. Um, kind of reaching a, a pivot point where I, I knew I wanted to do something different than what I was doing in terms of 
just day-to-day life and work. And I knew that, you know, obviously running has been such an outlet for me that I wanted to center this trip around the connections that I had made over the years and, and really starting to push, you know, some, some PBs and, and try to knock some things off that list and, and center the whole trip around it. But, uh, you know, the universe had other plans, obviously. Um, and everyone, you know, again, I, I kind of remain very aware of, of my privilege in the situation that, when COVID hit, I was able to retreat back home to uh, Canada and, and flew into Vancouver and was able to kind of with, you know, sort of less restrictions at the time. Um, the city and, and the province weren't very locked down. I had this topographic freedom. I, I bought an old minivan, drove around the province, ran all summer, was able to even get a race in. Um, those types of things weren't really, you know, overly locked down yet. So still obviously the trip of a lifetime kind of blown up. Um, and then the fall hit and I had been in a, in a long-term relationship that had ended. Um, the work that I'd been doing had kind of dried up. A lot of things seemed to be kind of crumbling around me. Uh, again, super fortunate, super lucky, but, a lot of things just seemed to shake down at the same time in which I was kind of left holding the bag of who am I, where am I going? What's next? What do I want from, you know, these next crucial years I felt of, of, you know, my life, what do I want to set up for myself? What do I want to prioritize? A lot of, a lot of big questions that kind of come with, you know, this COVID isolation, um, massive shifts in, in my relationship and my work and, and everything. So I was kind of starting as a blank slate. Uh, I have a friend who has a property about five hours north of the city, 17 acres, middle of nowhere, uh, God's country, so to speak, you know, just it's a hydraulic ferry off of a highway that leads to a service road that you drive for another 30 minutes and then you get to this 17 acres near this lake and there's a creek running through the property and he's got a couple bunkies on it and it was just you know absolutely in my mind you know you kind of and i say this in the intro of the book when the chips are down i think a lot of people have had this sentiment of of can I just run away to the woods or this, this romanticized version of just getting out and being in nature and, and just escaping it all. Uh, very fortunately him and I had ran into each other in the summer and he had offered an invite to come up there if I ever needed it. And, and, um, in the, in the midst of this, this, you know, long-term breakup and not knowing, uh, where my next paycheck, so to speak, was coming from and all these things. I wrote a list um, at a really, really low point and it said things that I control completely. Um, and that list was short, you know, it was how much I run, how much I read, how much I write, how I treat the people around me, how I treat animals, how I treat the planet and what I create, maybe a few other things. And those are things that I felt that I had absolute control over. Um, short list. And the next list that stemmed is where do I go from here? And with you know, COVID, I, I think there's no way you know, we can kind of beat around it. That list was very, very short. Um, and quickly, you know, the initial list was go back to Mexico City, get on a plane, blow it all up, live out of a suitcase, 
COVID be damned, you know, I'll take the risk and go. And then, you know, you start to be a little bit more reasonable. And, and the thing at the top of the list was, was Dunn Lake. Um, so I phoned him up and, and my buddy, Matt, you know, we hadn't seen each other prior to this summer in about a, a decade. Uh, and without batting an eye, he's like, whatever you need, come on up. There's an empty bunkie by the Creek. It's yours, uh, for as long as you want. And so on about five days notice, I packed up everything and I, I got on a bus and I met him at the terminal about two hours away from the property. And we drove in and, and on that first day at about three forty-five, the sun was behind the mountains and it was pitch black and we were driving on a service road to my little bunkie on a Creek and with no running water. And I thought, what the hell have I done? <laughs> so that led me to Dun Lake. Uh, if you want the, the very, very beginning of, of how this project started. Hmm. I love that setup. Thank you so much for your, um, honesty. Um, I have so many questions based on what you said and also so many from your book. Um, but while you were talking, what it reminded me of this morning, I was reading a reading from Pema Chodron, When Things Fall Apart, and she talks about like this unraveling and this sort of crumbling, but then like things coming back together. And it's like you had all these circumstances that were breaking down, but then this entire new blossom thing was growing in front of you. And like the idea of like doing what's in front of you and taking the next step, um, when you, when you set off on your journey, like what did, how many bags did you have and what were you thinking? Oh, I mean, I, I was very fortunate prior to this, this, you know, dream trip that basically everything I owned went into a storage locker and I was traveling out of one, um, one 30 inch tall suitcase and a duffel bag, um, and that was it. Uh, and then when I when I was able to fly to a race in Ontario in the summer, early fall, uh, and got out my storage locker, that was basically me being very aware that I had nothing left outside of what was what was in those bags. So when I when I decided to go to Den Lake, I did already have that that you know complete malleability. I was I was so nimble uh, in terms of where I would go and and how easy it would be. So I had, yeah, I had that one suitcase and I had the duffel bag and I had a backpack that was essentially just full of running shoes and books. Um, I, I made a, a conscious decision to really, really, really further pare down, uh, before I left, I thought, you know, I don't have much, but I, I can get this to even less. And so I never went into the suitcase actually. And the whole time I was there, the duffel bag and the backpack of shoes and books were, were essentially the only things I touched. And I mean, you know, you're out, you're in the middle of nowhere, not seeing many people and uh, mostly just running, writing, reading. And then as I would call them chores of necessity, um, it's the same pair of pants. It's, you know, the same socks three days in a row. It's throwing your, your running long sleeve and, and gloves and, and tights or sometimes shorts on the clothesline or the rocking chair out front and letting it dry for an hour and then bringing it in and then wearing it again the next day. So, I mean, in terms of what I brought there, uh, it would be considered the, the bare minimum absolute essentials. 
Did you have a phone or a computer with you? So yes, I did have a phone and a computer. Um, sadly, there was internet um, in the main lodge. It didn't reach out to my bunkie. Um, so there was moments, you know, on the first night where I was quite concerned about that. Uh, and then as time went on, I really, really began to enjoy my bunkie took on it, you know, kind of a, a personality, a character of its own in my mind where it was, it was this land of, of, of books, journaling, writing, um, a lot of, a lot of yoga and stretching and foam rolling. And it was this Island, this oasis away from, you know, even if I wanted to do anything on my phone, I couldn't in there, but I was fortunate that, you know, if I needed to have a FaceTime with a friend or something where I felt absolutely, and there was nights and, and moments where I got pretty squirrely and I want that the, the main lodge and the main cabin weren't that far away, you know, a couple hundred feet that I could go in and uh, I would go to the lodge and, and I wouldn't even start a fire in the stove or anything. So I'd kind of be limited. I knew if I was going to go on a call, I'd be getting cold if I was on it too long, but I knew that, um, I always had that, that connection, not too far off. Uh, I didn't have any cell service out on the property, but again, if I needed to make a, a, a call or, or have that human connection, mm -hmm. uh, I could do that. And I was fortunate that, and I mentioned this, that my friend who owned the property lives in the main cabin and had a couple workaways coming and going. Um, family of his would pop into a different lodge, you know, the main lodge, sorry, a couple of days at a time. So if, if I was ever absolutely starved for that, connection with other humans. It's not like I went and sat in complete isolation for a month. So um, it was definitely a jarring experience coming from a city like Vancouver and then going into, you know, the days were definitely mine to fill. And, and if there were days where, you know, I would choose to spend relative isolation for, for the majority of the day in that bunkie. Um, but if it ever got like, I, like I'd say squirrely, uh, <laughs> there was, there was always, you know, the, uh, the opportunity to, to see someone play a game of marbles, uh, have a cup of tea, um, or go into the lodge and, and FaceTime a friend for help. <laughs> Explain Bunky to maybe some of our city dwellers who mm. understand an apartment and a house. Yeah. Oh. So imagine a mini home without a kitchen <laughs> or a bathroom. <laughs> um, it, it, a bunkie is about, I think the, the dimensions on it were about 12 by 16 feet. Uh, it had a little bunk up top where the bed was. Uh, underneath the, the bed on the main level, under the ladder was a small couch, about big enough for me, like a love seat, uh, a chest of drawers. And then I threw a yoga mat and some lacrosse balls and a rope for some stretches right down the middle of the floor. And, and that was, that was about it. And the ladder acted as my drying rack. Such a runner. Can you, <laughs> <laughs> can you paint the picture for us of what your view was from the bunkie? Like outside? Yeah. I mean, this, this is where it does get very uh, romantic and the pageantry of, of my setup was pretty, in, in, even in hindsight, I, I just can't believe it. Uh, I had opened the front door of that bunkie and it would face onto the creek that was running through the property. 
so there was a rocking chair on my little little deck and it would just face that creek and the creek was running you know loud enough that if you're sitting on there it was just pretty much like a white noise machine version of what a creek would be uh, to those city folks who have never been by a creek well enough to just instantly draw upon that sound. Uh, but not so loud that, it, you know, I could hear it in, in the bunkie all night, but it was, it was honestly tree line and the majority of the 17 acres was on the backside of that creek. So it was just woods and, and water. And the nice thing was, is that it was facing away from the lodge, facing away from the main cabin, facing away from the mill on the other side of the property. It was solely facing the creek and, and the woods. So for me, there was a more than one mor morning where I would stand outside first thing and just kind of <laughs> chuckle. Hard to believe that, you know, such a setup was just waiting for me in that way. So it definitely felt uh, serendipitous to to be out there kind of recentering uh, and then just thrown into the midst of of all that beauty it takes a while from my experience i like when you're in a space like that the i don't know maybe the first week you just you're continuously your jaw drops you walk out because you're not used to it right or just looking out your bunkie the sun comes up you're like oh my god and then there's a point it kind of turns a little bit. It becomes, okay, now it's sort of, I'm getting used to it a little bit. Maybe, I don't know if used to it is the, is the right word, but, you know, it's sort of sinks in as you're doing more runs there. Did that happen happen for you as you were sort of there? And, 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 and at a point it turns into you're getting closer to your departure maybe and you're like, oh, no. Now it's like kind of part of me and I don't want to go. So th there's kind of a, a unique relationship that I had with it that I, that I kind of did. I, I battled with this for a long time if I should put a reflections piece in the back of the book. And the original, the original reflections um, were many pages, probably four or five pages. And now it's a very concise one page. Um, and, and I battled with it for a couple of reasons, but one was... I was writing this reflection a few weeks out. So I felt that I didn't give it the, the breath, the space to actually acknowledge if I, if I was in, you know, the right place to be giving these reflections. Um, so from that in the very immediate aftermath, what I was able to kind of realize was that I wouldn't say perfectly cut up into weeks, but there was a flow to this that, in the first, and again, for ease, we'll say the first week-ish, there was this duality, um, this really, really strange juxtaposition um, where I was in the midst of all of this natural beauty that is is something that a lot of people really, really pine for and really only dream about. And I'm in this place where I could go down to a lake a kilometer away from the bunkie and this property and there's a salmon hatchery and there's eagles soaring overhead and there's not a soul in sight. You could sit at the end of this crystal clear, beautiful body of water with mountains in the background, watching eagles fly overhead, scripted type of scene and setting and not hear another car drive by or see another soul. 
but then this deep sadness and ache and confusion um, of kind of, I knew, I knew, you know, this was never going to be permanent, but it just felt like my whole life was starting again in so many ways. And so there was this, this sadness and this mourning for the life that I was living or had lived that I was now in, in my mind, almost ceremonially saying goodbye to. And then there was this deep appreciation of where I was and they were very conflicting at times. You know, I didn't know what I was welling up over if it was sadness or if it was awe. I didn't know if I felt like I could cry because it was just so beautiful or because I was so sad. Um, and, and that was the first good chunk of time there. And as I kind of reflected more and it pivoted, I really started to kind of shift into this feeling of maybe a bit more anger, maybe a bit more frustration, maybe a bit more questions and answers. Um, and that lasted for a little bit. And then the next definitive shift was kind of more along the lines of, I know this isn't going to last forever. And I know I'm not going to wake up every morning in this remarkably stunning place and have these days to fill up my own and to be running every morning in awe of what was in front of me and then spending every mid morning afternoon writing and reading and doing deep personal work, you know, that just, that's not going to last forever. You know, life has to go on and you have to kind of, you know, obviously figure out what the next chapter is. And by the end, and I guess to, to put it kind of nicely and bookended, you know, the, the theme or the, the feeling, the central feeling that I had was, can I call upon all of this and come back to these, these sentiments and these feelings and these thoughts and, and these things that I've recorded without being here? Or does, does this version of me, does this part of me, you know, kind of end here? Is, is it, you know, scene and setting that's making me so connected with, with who I think I am with these feelings, with this commitment to writing, to this documenting of, of the good, the bad, the ugly, the pain and the beauty. Um, and do I want to leave it? Can I come back? Uh, is this maybe what life should be? Uh, so there was a very large mix of emotions, obviously not so perfectly one week to the next and they kind of weave back in and out, but those were, those were kind of the big, big elements of how I, how I was processing things, at least from that immediate reflection, um, once I was out of it, but I don't think it ever got to the point where, you know, again, I was only there for 30 some odd days, uh, where it ever got to the point where anything was so normal that I wasn't taken, taken aback by it just yet. Did you know how long you were going to stay there when you set out or did it just happen? No, no. So it was very open-ended. Originally I thought I could be there for the whole winter. Um, the original plan, uh, which is funny to think now was that I was going to go there and I was going to do a lot of, you know, this deep work and I was going to write and I was working on a few pieces for some publications and I was working on some creative projects and, you know, I still had some lofty personal running goals and I was really, really, really set that I was going to spend the winter there. 
was going to run a lot of mountain miles. I was going to do a lot of reading, a lot of writing. And this sounds naive now. When spring hit, COVID was going to be in maybe the rear view mirror and I was going to get on a plane and I was going to move to Mexico City. That was the original plan. Um, obviously, when I got there, I realized that if I was going to stay throughout the winter, it would get hard and it would get dark, especially as the weather shifted, especially as the days got even shorter. And, um, you know, I didn't have a vehicle there. Very, very landlocked, stuck to, you know, those, those probably, you know, 30 kilometers around the property. Every now and again, I could borrow one of the workaways vehicles. I think I borrowed it twice in the time I was there, drove into town, uh, ran, ran some, some, road miles. I had a workout baked in once or twice that I was, I was craving just flat roads. So I drove an hour to, uh, uh, Clearwater is the town. It's about 2000 people. It's the closest town. Um, just so I could run on some flat pavement. But originally when I went, I thought, I thought I was going to be there all winter and then go to Mexico and, and, and try to do a year there. But pretty, pretty quick, it, it became apparent that, you know, I wasn't maybe set up to spend a whole winter there. And I think that if I would have went during a time like spring or summer, obviously it would have been a lot different, but a lot of the uh, logistics and, and the, the weather factor of, of being really, really hunkered down there in the winter uh, started to be very daunting. And even up until when I left, I didn't know, I thought about maybe I'd come back for a second month um and it wasn't until after i had gone i went my my parents don't live too far away a few hours into the interior of the province uh, i decided i was going to go there for for christmas and it wasn't until i was there that i kind of realized that going back wasn't necessarily the best plan and even from this project standpoint i felt like it may be would harm it. I felt like if I kind of went back, cause I didn't do any editing. I didn't do any, um, I'd spend each day solely focused on that day's writing and, and fine tuning and refining that. Um, and then I'd leave it. And so it wasn't until I left that I started going through and printing off all the pages and, and kind of putting them, you know, physically in front of one another and starting to sort out those types of things that I realized, if I went back, it may be trying to force a lot of this project into a voice that I thought it was or, or because I had all, you know, 30 pages stacked this way that it had to kind of continue in another way. And I just, I just felt that if I was going to commit to putting this project out, then I couldn't go back immediately and try to continue doing it. Uh, I had to take some space away from it. And I also had to, if I was going to do more, of this project, it would have to be at a different time. It would have to kind of be a new chapter, so to speak, or another uh, version of an iteration. And then personally, you know, I don't think I realized how maybe emotionally exhausted I was until I left. Um, because I made a commitment when I went to really, really dive into the hard stuff. And I didn't know at the time, obviously it would be documented in this way in a book, but once I decided to commit every day to these writings, 
and to really, really documenting my time, good, bad, ugly, in, in this way through prose and, you know, this kind of field log report, so to speak. Uh, I didn't really realize until I left that I didn't have much juice left. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot to, you know, be in the middle of a run, processing things, trying to remember um, phrasing and and sentiments and, you know, basically what you read on the page, each prose, each work of prose each day, I'd say most of them, 80% of it was just retained in, in my my memory while running on these on these roads, uh, these these forest service roads, dodging you know softball size <laughs> pieces of rock and and potholes, and you know worrying about a logging truck coming around a tight corner or a cougar or lynx up on the the mountain slope or anything like that, mixed in with. Um, just trying to take in where I was, trying to document how I was feeling, try to put that into, you know, these kind of nicely wrapped up day by day, concise works and, and memorizing that the whole run and then getting back and being, you know, my hands are frozen and I'm trying to write or sometimes I was so cold that I would just put on my phone and try to voice dictate it out until I could write it down on paper. And then, you know, an hour later, finally remember to take off all my wet, frozen running stuff and standing there half naked, reworking things, trying to get it all out onto paper or, or voice dictate it. And then, you know, maybe dry off and then really start working through it. Um, knowing that I kind of set this limit on myself that after that, that day was done, I wouldn't until the editing uh, process going back and touch that. So it was, it was this, you know, almost like trying to remember a dream, you know, you have this very finite window of time in which you can recall certain, certain elements of it. And I felt that in the moment I was, I was very charged up and able to give it the energy and time to, to do those things, to go run a hard hour and a half, um, on gravel forest service roads that are half inclined, half, you know, it's up and down, up and down and run and think about these things and process my feelings and, and be very honest and vulnerable on, on the page and then refine, 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 and then do it again the next day. Okay. And so I think when I left, I was hit with this wave of, I don't know if I could do another month. Uh, and that was a big deciding factor of, of me not returning at, at that time. Thanks for painting that picture. That is so interesting. Um, can you, if it's handy, can you read us to our listeners, one of your field log entries, if you have a favorite one or you think something that's most interesting? Yeah, I do have it handy in case it was something was called upon funnily enough. <laughs> um, called Specular Reflection. Um, it's from about the first week. So it was December 4th, uh, 13 kilometers or eight miles, about an hour. Uh, it was a crisp day, zero degrees, so 32 Fahrenheit. Um, it's called Specular Reflection, and it, this is it. 
I make my way down to the lake. It's a common route. Gets like that when there's only two roads and you're looking for decent mileage. I'll stop and watch the coho for a while. Nowhere to be in a hurry. Always the case. Just out for the sake of it. Not always the case. There's a kindrance to being so alone here. Familial with the specular reflection of snow-capped peaks. The pines and warblers dancing and squiggling against the lake's surface. It makes me want to take my clothes off and wade right in. I'm sore from the uneven road and aching from the coolness of an early morning. Yet I feel strong and connected. Really, really connected. It's all here. I'm intertwined. A melange of rock, water, sentiment, and branches. Wings, beaks, and fins. Soil, ash, oxygen, carbon, elements. Feather and fesh, flesh, instincts and emotions. All coming together in this one cosmic instant. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I'd like to follow up that the the sketches of the two fish are right after that on page 17. Mm -hmm. Do they have something to do directly with... Uh, yes <laughs> so uh, I make my way down to the lake it's a common route um, I basically had two ways to go leading out of, of the property and that was left up a mountain or right towards the lake so uh, it became a common route to choose right to the lake and at the lake head there's a, a sign that's basically making note it says salmon at work um it's it's connected to the salmon hatchery mm -hmm. um and i i snapped a photo on a walk of it and mike mendez my my really great friend uh who did all the illustrations i sent him you know just photos uh, basically a photo dump of my time there and he, he would pick certain things and this is this is one of them that when he sent it back and, you know, I thought about the line, I make my way down to the lake. It's a common route. It gets like that when there's only two roads and you're looking for decent mileage. Um, it just always reminds me of the lake, you know, salmon at work right at that, at that lake head, right by the fish, uh, the hatchery. That's nice. Um, did you know the format that the book would take before you started writing? No, no. I knew the elements of it separately. I knew that. I wanted to keep a mileage log because I hadn't kept one physically um, in almost maybe a year. Uh, obviously, like many, many people, Strava just takes the, the manual labor out of it. But I knew uh, I, I've always had, I guess you'd call them personal journals or uh, like just little field note logs uh, or a commonplace book, you know, that I'd write little facts or, or fun little sentences or, or things that stuck out or isms along the way. But I had not kept a mileage log in almost a year. So I knew I wanted to do that in my time. You know, I, I was running six days a week, 80 to 100 kilometers, so 50 to 70 miles a week. Um, so I knew that it would be a, 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 you know, daily thing. I knew that I really, really like the idea of being there and putting it physically down uh, every day. So that was one element that before I left, I was just said to myself, you know, keep a mileage log and, and, and maybe, you know, I thought write some notes along with it. Um, but it wasn't until that first day that I wrote uh, just here in, in kind of in my head um, that I 
was writing out my my mileage log and I just had this moment. I was like, how cool would it be if, you know, I just wrote that underneath it and I could come back on that, you know, days, weeks, months, years later in this little field log and, and look back and be like, oh man, on November 28th at 7.39 a.m. I ran uh, 16 kilometers, 10 miles uh, at, you know, 75 minutes and it was 25 degrees. And then I have this little, this little work of prose underneath it. And I can kind of always, always remember it that way. And so I did it and I had this moment and I think I realized in that moment, I was like, Oh boy, what am I signing up for? Again, I didn't know if I was going to keep it all in such a concise manner. And I definitely didn't think that I was going to put it out for uh, publication, but I, I had a, a moment where, you know, it was kind of very exciting and, and like anything, you know, the idea of it really took hold and I, I was just absolutely motivated in that moment to do it. And it wasn't until about five days in that I realized it was going to be very hard to keep up. Uh, like, like most things, there's a, there's a swell of excitement and then there's the crashing down to reality of the logistics and the work and the commitment to it. So when I did it on that first day and I saw how it looked and it made me feel and it gave me almost, you know, this found sense of purpose. I was all in. And by about day five, I realized that it was going to be a job in its own right. <laughs> what I love about the format of the book, it's every entry, first and foremost, it starts off with a running log, right? So there's details about what you did, um, what the temperature was like. So that, that part's great. Then it's followed by this prose that is a raw this raw self reflection and self exploration and then the illustrations are in this super classic format of a hiking book uh like i i have a ton of them on mostly on all the hikes in the northeast there's like one section of my bookcase on all of that and i i love that style because it's so it just there's something super familiar and um personal about all of the pieces, the way they are tied together and it makes the overall piece come together very beautifully. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I will say the, the bookshelf in the main cabin is, is kind of this potluck of, of books that have been brought there, left there. Family members have probably had friends stay. And, and so there was a lot of, you know, I think in that, in that first uh, entry, where I talk about just wanting to know it all, you know, wanting to know the names of the provincial birds and and the local flowers and everything about the space and, and where I was and that that voracious appetite just to learn everything about where I was and and the nature element, you know, as I would say, I'm not a proficient woodsman. So I, I felt like I was just so green to all of the the terms and, and, and I just picked up every book I could on, you know, flowers of, <laughs> you know, Northern British Columbia and a book on, on regional fish. And it wasn't like I dove through each and every book cover to cover, but I, I just wanted to soak it all up and really, really immerse myself in it. I just have this great appreciation for it. And so 
there was that and those illustrations are always so so charming and so uh fitting of of you know just being in this this cozy scene and setting by a fire or in you know a bunkie by the creek um that i just i felt a that i wanted to immerse myself in it completely and then b i picked up a book called thoughts from the woods that was put out by the canadian broadcasting corporation um and is absolutely impossible to find i have tried online to find another copy of this book um and it was just very philosophical on on what life was like living you know in the woods mixed with a lot of these these sketches and these drawings that are very uh similar to those hiking books that you mentioned and then i wanted so i knew i wanted that to be the aesthetic of it but then for me personally to see my photos just you know blurry iphone shots sent to a friend who's who's a very talented artist um, on the pages for me, it, it's just, these are real places and these are real, you know, images turned to life through his illustrations and they're all from the area. So there's, there's that extra little bit for me of how much I connect with this and, and those images, but also I feel to the average, you know, person who's going to read it, it's just very reminiscent of of those hiking books and those those you know wildflowers of the mid Midwest or whatever you want to call it. Um, those those books on on all those kind of wonderful nature filled topics. Um, running is sort of a meditation of its own, but are you someone who meditates on the cushion? And I'm asking for a very specific reason. <laughs> uh, so I personally, I, I find, uh, I've always loved this quote, and I, it's from, uh, I think the book is running as an act of meditation. But it talks about how, you know, you wouldn't sit and think for exercise. You wouldn't call meditation exercise uh, in the same way that you probably wouldn't define running as meditation. Um there can be an element that like, you know, it overlaps, but I, I do think as someone who, yes, uh, meditates, um, and obviously runs, I, I find that there's an intersecting, there's a balance between them that there's, there's a, a fine line where they kind of feel similar in certain times. Uh, and then there's obviously times where they feel like they can be further apart. Um, so I do meditate. I, I lean more towards, uh, stoicism and stoic meditations uh, as more of a ruling philosophy in my life. But I, I do try and it's funny again, it's somehow tied into running, but uh, I put my feet up <laughs> at the end of every day and do the the whole feet on the wall and, and get the blood draining. And, and um, that's when I try to meditate. So yes, I meditate and I try to do you know, the last time meditations from stoicism, uh, which is just really focusing on, you know, this could be the last time you're doing any given thing. Uh, I try to do the bedtime meditation again, uh, really centered in stoicism of, of taking stock of your whole day. And then I try to also do the, I guess it'd be like, this is your dream life. So that at some point you'll look back on this moment and it will be a version of a dream life to you that you would have this freedom that you would have. I mean, clearly there's 
this is I'm living a dream life of of what we would say are billions of people on this earth living in in poverty and living in situations that we can't even imagine. But on top of that, I'm living my own dream life that there will come a point where I'm looking wistfully back on this time when I got a retreat to the woods and my only concern was writing, you know, what I felt in the moment and taking in all the beauty I possibly could. And there will be a moment, you know, if I'm lucky to live long enough where this could be the best time of my life and this is my dream life. So I try to focus on those meditations as more of a guiding philosophy of life. But I also do try to sit and be present in the moment uh, while my feet are dangling above me and, and notice my breath and, and take the time to be in the here and the now and not even think about how you know, lucky or, or grateful I am just to think about being. Uh, so that is definitely something that uh, I can see how it intersects with running, but I'm happy that I have both very separate. The reason I ask is because um, your poem, I begin to wonder which it's so beautiful, but it also kind of made me laugh because it reminds me of um, the challenge of sitting to meditate and being distracted by our thoughts and like letting them co come and go. And then in the poem, well, I, I'll call it a poem. I don't know if it is a poem, but um, it was just so, it was, it was entertaining to me because I identified so much to this idea of like, this nature's all around me, but I'm being distracted by like, the very mundane everyday things. And it's like such the human condition to do that. Like no matter where we are, we're still like in our head too. Um, can you share, if, if you remember that day at all, can you share something just like about that experience and what you wrote in that poem? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one of the first lines that I wrote again on that run was it's the red tailed hawk versus credit score the texture of rough fescue pitted against the results of an upcoming election in a township of which I am merely passing through, uh, the blue tailed heron at odds with my childhood address. And how that started to me was I was on a run in the midst of a beautiful day. And I thought about the price of gas. I didn't even have a vehicle. I was like, I wonder what the price of gas is. And it was about uh, probably longer than I'd like to admit in which I thought about things that somehow snowballed, you know, as we all do, like thoughts, you have no way of knowing how they lead to one to another. My credit score and my online banking and things like that were popping into my head in, in probably five, five minutes of this run before I kind of caught myself and just looked at the lake and, I, you know, I was running along the side of the lake and and it's just again i can't do it justice even in all of you know the 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 works i try to steer away from describing it too much um because i just felt like i couldn't in in the way that would that would do it justice but i noticed that i was thinking about the price of gas <laughs> when again i'm in probably one of the most beautiful places i've ever been in complete nutter solitude on this run haven't seen a soul and won't for however long i want to run for and i'm thinking about something that has a i have no control over and b just seems so trivial and and un inconsequential to me in that moment that i began to wonder like how the hell can i be in all of this and question these things and why does this pop into my head when all i should be is in awe um, just, I guess, you know, the human 
condition of of constantly going and the thoughts just constantly coming and and i understand that you know you're never going to stop that freight train but it was it was again and i'm glad that you found it funny because i did too it, it was more you know it wasn't meant to be judgmental of myself or hard on myself it was meant to be kind of like well even out here buddy you're still you're still wondering about that shit could be in the midst of a city <laughs> reminds me of the wherever you go there you are <laughs> that's it you know or you know you can't put a, a new address on on a set of problems it's such an intimate piece of art that you've produced and you can see that like you are being as the reader you're being led through your experience and so every day of course is going to be different because sometimes it all feels like it makes sense and then other times it doesn't feel like it makes sense and then to have the humor too it's like this it is the full spectrum of the human emotions which is like how lucky are you to be able to experience all of those um but i'm sure that you know based on what you've told us kind of the setup to you going there and then having this solitary time and you alluded to you know all of the kind of unanswered questions that just are part of living in a world where there is nothing there is no certainty which is highlighted by a time in our lives that is completely on the surface uncertain did you come away with it having any any kind of like did anything become answerable to you or um more understood or i mean obviously you're a different person than when you went there on day one yeah i mean i think um and i think this is the right book atomic habits um i believe james clear you know he says uh every action that you take is a vote towards the person who you'll become or something along those lines and so i feel that you know when i went there i'm just like i have no right being in the woods chopping wood for warmth uh writing this this book and as you do it every day that's another vote for i am writing this book i can sustain you know chopping wood carrying water sitting with hard things being vulnerable on the page committing to this project and it's a vote in that person that i want to be or a vote for the person that i want to be and, and thought that maybe at the beginning I, I wasn't or couldn't be so i think i left with a heightened sense of what it really takes to be or what you really need to be happy at least for myself and and realizing that you know everything I owned was in a 12 by 16 bunkie and there was nothing concrete waiting for me on the other side of it. And there was still so much joy and, and I would go out for a run and I would be working on this and I would feel purpose and I would feel connectivity to nature and myself and I would feel gratitude and I would go to bed and I would hit the pillow content without you know, obviously that, that ebbed and flowed, but even in the, all this seeming lack of things and, and direction, I felt happy at times. And obviously I felt sad at others, but I started to really learn that, you know, the, the, for myself, the parameters of what it really took to be content and happy were so small. Um, and so, but the things that remained were, were big and that was moving my body. That was sitting with myself. That was writing and, and journaling. And that was documenting 
how I felt and, and taking stock of, of my emotions and my thoughts. But again, you know, it was very much like that list of, of things that I controlled. It was a short list. Um, so I think I left a little bit more equipped with the idea of sure. It could be great. Great job with the running company an apartment in the city, uh, four wheels, you know, a dog, blah, 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 blah. Those would all be things that would be, you know, considered pluses. But if you stripped it all away, don't get me wrong, those are, are great things and, and things that I'm fortunate to have now, even in the short time since coming back, uh, I've started to really form a, a, you know, a different life in Vancouver. Um, it could all go away. And the reality of it is, is that I know that if I found a place to keep me sheltered from the cold and I could run every day and sit and practice and, and, and feed myself and connect with people in some way, there's a lot of the key elements to, to me being happy and content that maybe a few years ago, even if you would have told me, I would have thought there's no way. I'm going to ask the same question, but in a slightly different way. Maybe you answered and then hit the same answer. That's okay. I know a lot of time hasn't passed. You're still processing what you did, still going through it. The book is still new. But if the Sean of April 7th, 2021 can go back to the Sean of, of mid 2020 or whatever the timeline was when you felt like a lot of things were falling apart and things felt really uncertain and out of control. If the Sean of today could go back and just say one thing to the Sean of the past, what would it be? It's a really good question. Uh, I would say you can do hard things and I wouldn't go too much more into detail, but I'd probably also say if you focus on today's task, tomorrow's will take care of itself. Uh, and I think I found a lot of anxieties based around, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, mapping out the next five steps. Uh, even before I left, you know, I had I was going to do a few months there and then I was going to fly to Mexico and I was going to live for a minimum of year. You know, I had already mapped it out. Um, and then I got there and I didn't know if I was going to stay for another week, another month, another six months. And I think that in, in the last few entries, I, I really start to kind of actually comment on that. Wondering if I can still keep certain elements and, and sentiments of, of my time here time there and bring it into a new life or will I lose it or do I want to leave it? Um, I think that again, if I could just tell myself, you know, do what you have with what you or do what you can with what you have, where you are, um, you know, very famous quote and just focus on that. I think that would help ease the tension of that first little bit, but then I would also just reaffirm to myself, like you can do hard things. And, and there was times where I felt like I didn't know if I could. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to say that, you know, this was some feat of, of crazy endurance or 
<laughs> anything like that. But in its own right, like the emotional capacity that it took to to really be honest, and I think that that also came out in the in the editing. Um, just I really had a, a you know a gut check moment of if I want to be honest, if I want to be vulnerable, if I want to put this thing out and have it be real, that has to stay. You can't cut that out of it because it doesn't fit uh, a cool narrative or a I have all this shit figured out or. You know, I'm really in touch with my emotions, but only so much so that it's like, you know, I got this. Um, there has to be a, an element of being okay with someone reading that I laid down in the weary pebbles next to a lake w with frost cream called eyelashes and, and wept. You know, the fact is, is like, yes, that's romanticized in, in pageantry, but like, the reality is, is I laid next to a a, a lake where no one's around and I'm just laying there, a grown man in, in running shorts, <laughs> crying. Um, and at first glance, you know, I don't want to say I long for, a, a, you know, a feminine, for feminine compassion, you know, the touch of a, a lover, a mother or a concerned citizen. You know, the fact of the matter is, is like, that's the reality. At that moment, all I wanted was just a, a womanly figure to, to hold me and looking at it at first glance of editing i'm just like oh let's let's get that out of there but <laughs> emotionally speaking that was how i felt and i i think that to go back to telling myself you can do hard things this was a hard thing to to be honest to keep it honest to not kind of again put the highlight reel on it Mm -hmm. and and to leave what I put down in those moments and trust myself that I wrote it in that day and that I felt it in that day, that that's an honest reflection and that's not me a month later looking at it being like, no, 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 I think I should say that I felt this way. It's like, no, 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 you felt that way and you had a whole day to sit and cut this out and it's it's what was on the page. So it's, it's you know, time to gut check it and, and if you want to be honest, now's the time. And, and I think that that was actually probably up there with the hardest part of it all was just deciding to leave some stuff in that was for me painfully honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very authentic and vulnerable. And as the reader, it makes you trust you so much because it's just seems so pure. There's nothing contrived about it, but I can't even imagine how exposed you felt when you handed it over. <laughs> Yeah, there was a moment, it wasn't until I got the physical copy and I opened it and I don't even remember the line, but I pulled it up and it was, it was just one of the, you know, I guess at the time it hit me. Um, and I just, just like, what, what the hell have I done? You know, <laughs> it, it's like that feeling of keeping a journal in high school and someone finding it. it it's kind of, you know, along those similar lines, obviously a, slightly more curated and, and vetted, but, um, because a lot of it started as that, as just my own journal. And, and so <laughs> there was a moment where, yeah, when I first opened up the first physical copy and I just thought I made a huge mistake <laughs> and, and I've since come off that ledge. I just think that I never felt like I made a mistake doing this the way that I did and keeping it the way that I was. Um, but I, 
there was just that that very very unique moment of and i don't think a lot of people again in in the highlight reel of social media get that because you can be very curated with with what you present mm-hmm. to the world and so I think there was that, that big swing of vulnerability where a lot of the times, you know, you put the right post down or you run a PB or this is a great shot of me running, you know, shirtless or whatever. And I look great on the beach. You can really kind of curate what you're putting out to the world. And and then, you know, I realized that I quickly stripped away a lot of that. If you choose to read this, there's not a lot of uh, stuff that's really hidden or, or curated in a way that just only puts the highlight reel forward. This is, this is, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the real emotions, and, and just being honest with the fact that I'm feeling these things. Um, and I think that that was probably the scariest moment was when it was physically in my hands reading it. And I looked at the pre-order list and I saw, you know, names in Russia in Croatia and Spain and you know I just said like some random person in Croatia is going to know exactly <laughs> why I was crying next to this lake uh that here you are bud like this is me and and that's a very unique feeling um I can't say I'd ever really came across it until that moment but again I'm sure I'll look back and tell myself if I could, you know, you can do hard things. And and that that's one of those moments where I just kind of trusted that, that, you know, I can do hard things. I can, I can have a vulnerable piece um, out there being read by people that may not know me aside from this book hmm. and not get the highlight reel, you know, not right. get the curated idea of me. This is, maybe some person's first introduction to me. Um, so that's who I am. And this, this was that time. And, and I, again, that comes with the, the swelling sense of pride that I did the work to document this because it is, again, just a snapshot of a moment in time in a place uh, tucked away from the world. So again, as much as I can feel that, oh my gosh, like this is such a vulnerable version of, of myself being put out there. Yeah. But it's a version of myself that continues to evolve. Super cool. And I mean, we could have a conversation about like, what's, I don't even know how I would describe it, but this idea of like normalizing the emotionality of males, like, I think that that's such a important thing. Um, we don't need to go there necessarily now, but I think, (laughs) I hope we get to the day when it's not like, so like, it's not radical um, that, that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on paper, uh, uh, you know, a guy writing a book of prose where a lot of it is centered around some, you know, doubts and questions and, and really raw emotions on paper maybe seems very vulnerable and out there, but I would also think that if you were to take, and I've said this before that I think that if you were to take anyone from, you know, I guess let's focus on on the male side of it, but you were to take a 38 year old trucker and a 50 year old corporate lawyer and, you know, put them in situations like this where, you know, they got 
a whole day in front of them to chop wood, carry water, make, you know, the acquaintance of solitude and keep a journal. There would be a lot of sentiments that maybe it's not worked into works of prose or poetry or um, anything but a stream of consciousness or whatever it may be, however it may be articulated, you're going to find a lot of, of very global sentiments and, and feelings and emotions. And you're going to find a lot of very universal um, kind of grouping of, of these feelings. And I think that, again, maybe they're not worded in such a way, but I don't think that we give enough credit to the fact that we just kind of don't sit with our emotions enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was forced, you know, I had no real choice, but there was, you're, you're, you got a lot of day in front of you. Um, and I think that if more people did that, it wouldn't be so radical for, for someone to, to put this emotional or vulnerable, quote unquote, vulnerable stuff out into the world, because we'd all realize that, you know, these emotions are running through all of us and these sentiments and these feelings and these thoughts are pretty universal. But again, uh, we, we do so much work in distracting ourselves every moment that it's really hard to come to these, these realizations that this is how I'm feeling in this moment. This is what I'm questioning about myself. This is what hurts. This is what feels good. This is what brings me joy. This is what serves no purpose because if you're just distracted the whole time, you're never going to ask that. So, um, while I feel like, yes, this is maybe slightly a bit more of a rarity than we'd like to see. Um, especially from, you know, maybe males and and males in, in, again, this is also tied in with running. So males in sport, um, I think that if we were to do some form of, uh, you know, test where we put 30 men in bunkies in, in the middle of nowhere for a month at a time, we'd get some pretty real, fascinating and beautiful uh, reflections. I have another question. <laughs> do you have a writing background? No. Um, I have written for some publications, uh, some running publications, and have written personally in journals for a a good part of my adult life, Um, was always an avid reader uh, and a voracious appetite for for new literature. Uh, And poetry has always been something that I I seemingly kind of cyclically in a few year cycles uh, come back to. And, you know, I feel like on, on this specific, you know, in this specific period, I was just tucked away in the woods reading that Thoughts in the Woods, you know, more philosophical and a lot of Mary Oliver. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, I mean, thrown into that. But there's been other times where I've read uh, Peter Heller. And I mean, he's a great outdoor writer, but has also written some very beautiful novels and his style uh, is very influential to me in terms of how he writes in the cadence. And and I think that while I've never done anything of this nature, I've always been very passionate about keeping a journal of my own, about creating in one way or another uh and then just 
reading as much as I can when I when I get onto something. It, it's just almost like I sink my teeth in and I can't let it go. So uh, for me, I did okay in school, but I was always I always excelled at English. Uh, you know, finished a year and a half early in the advanced placement English, but didn't do advanced placement in any other course. Uh, so for me, it's always been a, a, a part of my life that I've enjoyed writing and, and obviously really enjoyed reading. But this was kind of my first, again, and that goes to that vulnerability of, of, you know, almost imposter syndrome of what right do I have to put out this book? But again, I think that the difference between, you know, authors and, and non-authors are you just do it. And, okay. and I think, again, uh, I just rode the momentum of, of really, really sinking my teeth into the time and the space and the idea that I was just going to do this. And I think I needed in, in an essence, like I needed a win. So I just didn't really have the time to doubt it too much until I got that first physical copy. <laughs> and that's, and that's when the questions of what the hell have I done uh, <laughs> hit. But yeah, I think there's a, a lot of, again, going back to yourself and telling you, you can do hard things. A lot of uncertainty that comes with that imposter syndrome about putting something out for the first time. And the nice thing is, is that now if I ever decide to do another, which I definitely feel I have many ideas for, can't, can't really go off the, I have no right doing it. I've never done it. I've done it now. So it's, mm -hmm. it hopefully makes that next one a little bit easier. And, and eventually again, it'll be another vote that says, you know, you are a writer, you know, another, another day, another action that, that is a vote for, me being a writer well thank you so much for giving us so much time we usually ask our guests to give a training tip but i think you have parted so much life wisdom that i don't i don't know what else can i ask you to sort of say on that front um but i think because we usually a lot of times we spend some amount of time on talking about some superficial things like your mileage your pace <laughs> and this is what the, i mean what we have talked about far surpasses so many of those things that we really don't i, I just i should say though such a gem mm -hmm. that during this whole time you know i still had my own running goals um mm -hmm. in terms of mileage in terms of you know there was workouts baked in and, and that added a wrinkle of okay i'm trying to be present remember this this phrasing and you know i got to do uh, 5k at threshold and then five minutes easy. And then, uh, you know, 800 meters times six, you know, there was, there was days that that was the case. And I tried not to ever, the precedence was never the workout when I was there, you know, that was not the forefront, but I and had somehow figure out the price of gas. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> again, we, <laughs> we need, uh, we need things to just keep turning. But so I guess for me is, one thing I learned too, especially even in my training during this time, uh, is that it's just such a gift. I mean, there was times where I went out with a workout in, in mind and if I got halfway through and I was going too fast, too slow, whatever, but I was really, really in that flow state of, of writing this, this day's piece, um, I stopped sweating it in the way that I would if I was just, you know, back in Vancouver on the seawall, uh, really dialed into what my Garmin was saying 
And, mm-hmm. and while it felt good to have, you know, that structure, I think a lot of us gravitate to running because of that. And, and, you know, the, the metrics are very nice. And, and, you know, I myself, um, hope to run, you know, a, a 245 marathon this fall. Like I really want to do some, some good big PRs and running myself. That doesn't necessarily mean that like I, I would trade every single mile split hit for some of the, some of the clarity that I found on those runs where I just said, you know what, forget it, be here. And, and, you know, like just let it go to some degree because there's going to be another day and I'm going to get that, that workout in. And I know that, you know, at the end of each and every day, I'm still out here. I'm still putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and it kind of stripped away a lot of the metrics and it was just such a gift. And I think that if you're having a, a relationship with running that may be a little bit tumultuous or, or you're having a hard time with training, uh, try, try keeping a, a physical run log and, and in your mind, think about something that you want to write down to match all the metrics, you know, to complement all the metrics of, of that day. So when you go back and you decide you're going to do a month of this, you know, it can be a sentence. It could be the price of gas as you ran by a gas station, whatever it is, you know, find a way to, to try to incorporate that in. And I think that may shift hopefully a little bit of your perspective. If you're having a crummy workout uh, or if you're just not feeling it or something's not coming easy, it's another thing that you can kind of focus on that really is that perspective shift that I think uh, we could all use. Yeah. That's great. your training tip listeners. Yeah. Uh, I love the format when you, you just put the distance and then the time. And of course I was like running the math. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's fast. And I was like, okay, eight miles an hour. I can do that. But I hadn't factored in the up and down. And then I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> he's really fast. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, you know, some of those workouts were, were, you know, at paces in, in kilometers, you know, three thirty-five a kilometer. And the, the reality of it is, is that there's a, uh, 3k incline in front of you, you know, where you're basically just slowly slogging up this mountain. If that hits when you're, you're 5k on or your <laughs> mile repeat start again, that helped with letting go of that expectation. Um, that helped with just being like, well, I'm here. So I guess that means my mile, my mile on is instead of this pace, it's, it's hauling ass up this mountainside. Um, and, and, just being okay with the fact that perceived effort is, is sometimes better than, than looking at mm-hmm. that time split. So, um, I think that it also helped. I mean, I came back and I was on that seawall and I was fast, you know, those mountain miles, they, uh, they <laughs> I, really I stack up. Say, yeah. I was gonna <laughs> say if just physiologically speaking, you come out a lot stronger on the other end when you're just slogging up the hill, even if it's, you know, even if you're pace slows down significantly yeah hills really do pay the bills so that that's my last you know poetic ending to it (laughs) (laughs) wait i have one more question before we leave it's the most important of all of the questions Mm -hmm. tell us about your tattoos oh which ones okay yeah (laughs) uh i actually here i'll tell you I, i will tell you one story so there um was a tattooer is a tattooer um in the general area of all the properties, I guess like probably 15 kilometers. So 10 miles away from where, uh, my friend's property was. And I guess he, I don't want to, he's a very spiritual dude and he used to own a bunch of tattoo shops and 
they kind of call him the shaman. Um, and he's kind of out there and he's got this beautiful, beautiful property and a little, again, another bunkie that he's turned into like a tattoo shop that, you know, locals know about. Um, and so I got two tattoos from him actually on my last day, right before leaving. Um, the morning that I left, I went and I had a cup of coffee with him and his dogs and sat in the yard and just kind of decided I was going to get two tattoos, um, to add to the, I know nobody can see me, but the, the quite extensive collection I already have. Um, and they, I find that they, they fit with this time there a lot. One of them, uh, says born to run. And the other one says desire less. Mm. And I feel like those are two sentiments I could really hang my hat on for my time there. And I'll always look at those and kind of remember that that morning and, and looking, you know, as the upslope fog was sitting in this, in this valley of the mountains, having a cup of coffee with this old tattooer that I... <laughs> was just listening to him impart life wisdom and his dogs running around the yard. And now I have desire less on the, in some of the space on the back of my leg and uh, born to run on the back of my neck. That's so cool. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, two out of probably about 80 we could talk about but <laughs> next time. So, separate next episode. Time. Yeah. <laughs> the tattoo episode. Sean, thank you so much for such an inspiring conversation i think we can go on for a really really long time um but thank you for giving us this time and i hope this inspires everyone to understand the meaning of you can do hard things and you know the importance of self-reflection in whatever shape and form that can take for our listeners or, or for people in general but thanks for sharing all those stories yeah thank you for such an inspiring episode Oh, it was such a pleasure to talk to you both. And I really am thankful for your guys' time. And yes, we can all do hard things. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.